0: Welcome to the Living Epistle Podcast, the place where you will find biblical principles to help you live out your faith on a daily basis and to have a positive impact on the lives of others. So get ready for another powerful episode of Living Epistle Podcast. Hello, my name is Tony Miles, and welcome to this week's episode of Living Epistle Podcast. And family, before I begin today's podcast, I do want to take a moment to say um, today marks the third anniversary of Living Epistle Ministries Podcasts. Yes, that's right. Today, three years ago, May of 2020, I did my first podcast during the height of the pandemic. And here we are now three years later and starting uh, tomorrow, heading into year number four. So again, I'm grateful to the Lord for giving the words, uh, giving me the words and the thoughts and the ideas and the people who've come and been guests on the podcast to share with each and each and every one of you every week for the last three years and i'm truly thankful for you uh, my podcast audience for being faithful listeners and for sharing with me and with others how the podcast has been a blessing to you and to your families and to your friends so truly from the bottom of my heart i say thank you and most of all i just say thank you lord um, for the grace that you've placed upon me and placed upon uh, this particular ministry to be able to just be a blessing and prayerfully to be um, a voice of encouragement, a voice that challenges uh, to those of you who listen. So by God's grace, I'm planning to take it to the next level as we head into year four and beyond. So stay tuned again with a grateful heart. I do say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my podcast audience. So with that said, let me go ahead and get into uh, to this week's podcast. Um this week my son and my daughter-in-law and my and their son, our newest grandson came over for dinner. And we um had a wonderful time, just had a wonderful time and what really blessed me was watching my son caring for his newborn son and I was watching my son as he was holding his son and as he was changing his diaper and as just he was just interacting with him and my son was just smiling the entire time. He would smile at every little movement or every little sound or every little facial expression that his son would make. Uh pretty much he barely wanted his mom or me to to, to hold our new our new grandson. Kind of joking, but not. Um and so and then I was observing the interaction between him and and his new wife and and it just it just brought a smile to my face. Uh, literally just brought a smile to my face to see that. And then I began to think about my my, uh, my two married daughters and, and their families. And, and I was just reflecting on what great women that they've grown up to be and great wives and great mothers. And uh, they married these two terrific men who are attentive husbands and they are incredible um, fathers. And I thought about my youngest daughter and how she's just such a blessing to her mom and me and what an, uh, an asset and what a blessing she's been to us uh, in the business. And And then I began to think about all of the pressure, all of the pressure that are on them as as young families, as as young parents, as a young couple. I began to think about the pressure that is on my youngest daughter, who's a recent college graduate. And it really doesn't matter, you know, kind of the the pressure um, that that's that's on them and the pressures that's on us and all of us to conform to these uh, societal norms of our day. And again, it just it it really doesn't matter whether you're a baby boomer. You know, baby boomers being classified as people between the ages of 59 to 68 or if you're a Gen Xer, 43 to 58, or if you're a millennial, 27 to 42 years old. Uh, If you're a Gen Yer, 25 to 29 years old, or if you're a Gen Zer, those 11 to 26 year olds, really doesn't matter. There is tremendous pressure on all of us to conform to the wisdom of the age, to conform to the societal wisdom, the societal norms, the societal mores, just tremendous pressure. And then the Lord reminded me of Solomon. He reminded me of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1 and 9, where Solomon says, and this is from the New King James Version, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, it says, that which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. And so I know we think, I know we think, man... Would you, there was there was no iPhones and there was no internet, and there was no and you're right there's not not from a technological s- standpoint, but what is Solomon saying here? What Solomon is saying here is that history merely repeats itself. Pause for a moment, think about the fashions, think about afros and bell bottoms and uh platform shoes. well, we're seeing those all over again, right? They become wildly popular and people going natural right, not putting anything in their hair. That was in the sixties, man, people wore their afros and they wore their hair natural. Um, and so what Solomon is saying again is history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. And so how do we know this? What, what is he getting at here? Well, then the Lord directed me to the book of Revelation. For the past two weeks, I've been studying the book of Revelation. Let me just pause. Sidebar. Side note. Pet peeve break. Pet P E E V E alert here is that it is the book of Revelation, not Revelations. There is no S. Why? The word or the book of Revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, apocalypsis, which means unveiling or revelation. It's the book of Revelation because it is the revelation of who Jesus Christ is in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his might, and in all of his power. And so now I hear you. I hear you, family. I hear you saying, so what does the book of Revelation have to do with Solomon's claim that there's nothing new under the sun? Well, Here it is, the book of Revelation that many Christians shy away from because of all of the imagery, because of all of the mysterious symbolisms, because of all of the violence and the battles and the weird creatures, because of all of that that's associated with the book of Revelation. And people say, well, we can't really understand it. And you are correct. There are still many mysteries in the Bible in general, but in particular, the book of Revelation that we cannot understand. However, Understanding the socio and political, or, the, or understanding the socio and ecclesial context in which the book was written, gives us some insight into the reasons for the violence and the mystical uh, symbolisms and all of the, the the imagery that's in the Book of Revelation. So, what do I mean? Here it is. Revelation was written at a time when there was Roman hostility to Christians. And so that hostility even began to erupt into overt persecution. And the fact that the book of Revelation was written by John the Revelator, as he's called, while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos or the island of Patmos is a great indication of the escalating tensions that existed between the Roman Empire and the Christian community. Right. So Rome was the the, 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 the empire of the day. and. Great and mighty empire had conquered the land, but there was great tension, so much so, again, that they had uh, banished John to the island of Patmos. And so Christians were viewed as disloyal or unpatriotic for despising the very things that most of the people who were in the Roman Empire considered to be emblems of local pride and national honor. Right. So they were considered to be These Christians, these people are the way they were considered to be antisocial for avoiding the banquets and the festivals and the feasts and the amusements that were part of everyday Roman life. And so Christians were also shunned because they did not acknowledge the gods with a small g who the Roman citizens believed were responsible for the protection and the prosperity of their society. In other words. These people believed that they had this success or they had their prosperity because they paid homage or they gave alms to these small gods with a little g. And the Christians just said, no, no, we, we're we not going to do that. So in short, there was this great tension. There was this major tension. There was this major hostility between Christians and the general population. Does any of this sound familiar to us as Christians today? Particularly this one where where, right, the Christian people... Um, were despised for considering or being disloyal or unpatriotic for de- despising the things that most of the people in the Roman Empire had considered to be emblems of local pride, right? Or national honor. I, need I say more? And so here's where I go. Here's here's the connection. I believe that the enduring theological question that the book of Revelation helps us to answer, even to this day, the enduring question. So the book of Revelation was written in about 95 somewhere around 95, 96 AD. So in the first century, and now here we are in the 21st century, but the enduring question is the same that Revelation really helps us to answer. And that question is, who is the Lord of the world, right? Who is the Lord of the world? That's the question that the book of Revelation helps us to answer even today, right? Again, The question was relevant in the first century church. It is absolutely still relevant in the 21st century church. Prior to critically reading Revelation, I had only viewed this book as a mysterious eschatological meaning end times text that was filled with complex imagery and symbolism. And I just really didn't. And honestly, family, it scared me. And so I just didn't read it. But while I still view this book and this work that's filled with complex imagery and symbolism, critically reading it and studying it has helped me to gain way more insight. And now I see Revelation as a book that attempts to clearly expose the true Lordship of Jesus Christ. Recognizing the Lordship of Jesus Christ is still vitally important to the welfare of our church today. And so I appreciate when I read the book of Revelation, I appreciate how um, the, set, the letters to the seven churches called for the seven churches to resist bowing to the sociopolitical pressures of the Roman Empire. So what does that mean for us today? For us today, I believe that that same call is for us, the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, to resist bowing to any um, sociopolitical pressure. Don't bow to any political party, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, whether you're conservative or liberal, whether you are um, a libertarian candidate or whether you're independent. Right. We don't have and I don't believe that there is one party that has an intrinsic lock on justice or an intrinsic lock on righteousness. What do I mean? There is no party that's intrinsically just or righteous. There is no party that's intrinsically good or intrinsically evil. There is no party, right? Because they're all made up of humans. And guess what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in many instances, people have replaced God with the God I'm talking about now, the God Almighty with a capital G. In many instances in our day, people have replaced our God with the capital G with a political party. They've replaced them with cultural biases or they've replaced them with identity politics. And Christians now are being vilified and we're being demonized because we have the audacity to say that we believe what the word of the Lord says in the Bible. Christians are being demonized because we believe that um, what God says about human beings, what God says about humanity, God's prescription, P-R-E, S-C-R-I-P-T-I-O-N-S, meaning God's instructions, God's directions, and God's proscriptions, meaning God's forbidding, God's outlawing, God's prohibitions, is true. We believe what God says about humanity. We believe what the word of God says to humanity, whether it's his prescriptions, his instructions, his directions, or whether it's his proscriptions, his, for, his forbiddings, his prohibitions, his outlawings. We believe that is true. And here's where I believe in my challenge to us as believers is that worship of God alone becomes the resistant witness that Christ exhorted in his seven letters to the churches. And that kind of witness, that kind of witness, that kind of witness resists accommodation to the claim of Roman lordship and, uh, and, and, and obstinately um, offers a provocative counterclaim in its pr- in its place. And what do I mean by that? Those are all fancy words to say the counterclaim is Jesus Christ and Christ alone, no matter what empire, no matter what the government, no matter what the politics, no matter what the people, no matter what society is saying is right today. What we have to understand, people of God, is that our ultimate measuring stick, our ultimate barometer of what is right and good and just and holy is not The political party affiliation. It's not identity politics. It's not what the world says is good and right and just and holy or bold and brave and courageous, right? What we must do is we must be that counterculture. And that's just like it was back in the day of the Roman Empire and the early church, is that the early church refused to bow to the pressure and the culture and the wisdom and the gods with a small g of that. Day And I believe that that exhortation still holds true for the church of Jesus Christ today. The supernatural visions that were shown to John, the supernatural visions that were experienced by John the Revelator clearly established that Jesus Christ is the true Lord of Lords, not Pharaoh not Caesar, not Nero, not Domitian, not Joe Biden, not Vladimir Putin, not Xi Jinping, no other person, no other ruler, no matter how powerful they think they might be, is the true Lord of Lords. And so consequently, what does this mean for us? Consequently, what this means for us as Christians is that we should be encouraged to be resistant witnesses and not bow to the sociopolitical pressures of our day. We must stand for truth that is represented In our identification with the resurrected Jesus Christ and Christ alone and not come succumb to the mob mentality or to the wisdom of our day. And I believe that that is one of the abiding messages that was unveiled in the book of Revelation to the church and to the world. And that's why the world fought the church back in the first century. That's why the world still continues to fight us believers today. This message the call to be resistant witnesses, no matter what the pressure to conform to this world system are brought to bear on us. The book of Revelation reminds us that we have the victory. Why? Because our resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has the victory. He is seated at the right hand of God, making intercessions for us. And there is no doubt. What Revelation reminds us is that there is no doubt that Jesus the Christ is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords, and He is coming back for His people, for His church to establish His kingdom, and all other thrones will be taken down. And so, family, I encourage you that no matter what, may we live, may we love, and may we resist in such a way that it exemplifies our confidence and our hope in the risen Christ, our soon returning King. So remember, family, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. This is Tony Miles. Thanks for listening. Now go and be a Living Epistle. Join us again next week for another episode of Living Epistle Podcast. Music for Living Epistle Podcast is provided by AudioNautics.com.